episode is an interview with Sandeep Kibi, a leader and well-loved manager within ExxonMobil, recent appointed board member of Avance Houston, and fellow Stanford GSB classmate. In this conversation, Sandeep talks about how his experience coming from a middle-class family in India has shaped his dedication to helping all gain access to education. And that this has been a driving motivation in his career and life. Sandeep is a dedicated leader within ExxonMobil, the GSB community, and his Houston community home. In all of these environments, he helps build programs that help people access greater opportunities. It was a privilege and joy speaking with Sandeep, a humble, value-focused, results-focused leader and kind person. Thank you, Sandeep, for your friendship and all. Please enjoy. Okay. Hi, Sandeep. Hey, Tarni. How are you? So good. And thank you for joining me for this weekend edition of the uh, interviews that we're doing for Global Conscious Leadership Meets Power. And I so appreciate you reaching out and being interested in spearheading this together and sharing some of your experience. So could you just quickly introduce yourself to our teammates and classmates and the, the people watching a little bit about yourself professionally and uh, perhaps maybe even one or two things personal. Absolutely. So Tony, first of all, pleasure to be here and thanks for having me. Um, so I am, you and I know each other from the Stanford LEAD program. Uh, I'm from the Navigators cohort uh, and it is, it is such a pleasure to be, uh, be a part of that. Uh, you know, cohort group. Uh, or, I mean, part of the uh, part of the lead program. Um, I am so I'm based out of Houston, Texas. Um, I am a first line supervisor in ExxonMobil. I've been with the company for about 14 years, uh, and I lead a team of 14 outstanding uh, team members who are delivering technology uh, for our high value core assets in in the corporation. Um, I grew up in a middle class family in India. And uh, one of the most vivid memories of childhood education for me was studying for my math test in candlelight due to rolling blackouts and lack of reliable, affordable energy back in India. And so today life has come full circle for me. Uh, I work for ExxonMobil with the purpose of providing reliable, affordable energy so that one day no child in any part of the world will need to study in candlelight ever again. That's my purpose, energizing humanity. And that's what energizes me. Wow, thank you. And one of the things I found interesting about you and why I selected you to be part of this interview process is you have a, a beautiful leadership style that is both soft and uh, strong at the same time. So that's kind of jumping ahead because one of my questions is, who does a great job balancing? And in the short time that we've gotten to see each other, yeah. uh, I do see that in you. So just so you know. I appreciate that. Yeah. And that is what we're all exploring. So the first question today is, 
who has been the biggest influence in your career and what was it that they did or did not do? Um, and how have you tried to emulate them? Uh, right. and, and also what, why were they so um, influential? Yeah. Yeah, so absolutely. So, you know, having been in ExxonMobil now for 14 years, especially now in my current role, which is which is leader, formal leadership role, I mean, I have several role models um, who have had a major influence on how I lead. Um, there are several visionary leaders in my company, uh, current VP, for example, former vice presidents, presidents in the company that I admire and, and who continue to inspire me and others. Yeah, right. Uh, so, but but let me share with you someone who is outside of my industry, and, and that's Indra Nui. And I know that you and I have talked about her in the past. Um, she is the former CEO of PepsiCo. And I had the privilege of meeting her about three years ago here in Houston, Texas. And her leadership style, the clarity that she brings, the purpose, the strategy, and the vision um, that she brings to the role really resonated with me. Um, she's very energetic. She's a very dynamic leader. Um, she is very direct, has a clear vision, which I really, really identify with. And, and obviously, her coming from India, being a minority, a woman rising through the ranks, uh, transforming PepsiCo into a performance with purpose company, it's really inspiring. And she transformed the product portfolio for PepsiCo when there was really not an imminent need to do so. Uh, she was able to see around the corner on what's coming next, how consumers' behavior was changing, and that's visionary leadership. Focus on purpose is really, really vital. So, you know, that's that's someone that I really that's a big influence on how I lead and has kind of you know um, really shaped my servant leadership style as well. And I know when we spoke, the thing that you saw with her is that she took a risk about pushing back on the board, pushing back on a lot of the people within the company who felt yeah. like things are going well. Yep. Why would we tip over the apple cart? And she said, no, we're, we're going to have a problem. Can you talk a little bit about what that problem was and, and how she saw the long-term being beneficial enough to tip over that apple cart? Yeah, yeah, so I think, uh, you know, and um, she was, so right when the, she was the CEO, I think the focus was on uh, products, um, uh, food products that are good for consumers. So, you know, so-called good for you um, and better for you, but then, or, or, or fun for you, I'm sorry. And so, uh, you know, and, and the fun for you products were extremely popular, the chips, the drinks, the sodas, et cetera. But then she shifted and she saw the consumer behavior was shifting to more healthier products, the products that are good for you, right? Or better for you. And she was, she actually took that head on and she was able to change the strategy of the company in focusing more on these good for you and the better for you products, which was not easy because company was doing great. And, uh, you know, the bottom line was being taken care of. And there was, like you said, really no need to rock the apple cart. And that's fantastic. That's such a lesson uh, for us as leaders, not always to say yes to what the, the people around and above us are asking for yep. and then for her to have had the 
precision and the skill to be able to deliver uh, an argument that actually won out the hearts and the minds of the people around her and then be able to deliver upon it is super impressive. So I see why okay. you chose her. Yeah. So the next one um, is more going towards your uh, experience as a leader. Um, can you tell me a little bit about a time when you had to shift people's mm -hmm. minds um, towards something and how did you do it? Did you feel at all conflicted about it? Or were you able to find a way to make it a win-win for everybody? Right. And that's an important topic, Tony. So I, I do believe that some conflict, right? Some difference of opinion, it's inevitable. It's bound to happen. It is healthy and necessary in high-performing teams and uh, in, in a positive, fulfilling working environment. You need diversity of thought to make the best decisions, to help an organization thrive. But the key is, how do you deal with the conflict of ideas, right? And so my mantra is ideas compete, people collaborate. So let me give you an example around that. Um, I'm on the leadership panel of an inclusion and diversity employee resource group for ExxonMobil employees of Asian heritage. And so when I joined the leadership team, uh, leadership had multiple competing priorities. There was a lot of diverse opinion, thought on how to advance inclusion and diversity objectives within our ERG, within our company. And since I was new to the team, um, I had to be very, very strategic around building my credibility and overcoming resistance. So initially there was opposition, some opposition to my input and ideas. Um, and I realized that um, going back to some of our uh, coursework that we've done together, right? I realized that what was important for me was not necessarily important to the leadership team. And, and that kind of, you know, um, just made me take a step back and change my approach. Um, I met with the president of the employee resource group. I expressed interest in helping them advance their mission, right? I found ways to demonstrate how I was contributing to their mission, their priorities. I addressed some of the concerns one-on-one -on -one, um, and, and not, not let that get into a very uh, public uh, debate, discussion, etc. I brought in people who supported me, so I was able to be very, very strategic about it. And once I reframed that conversation, the focus really shifted on working together to achieve a higher purpose. Uh, the dialogue was great, right? And, and the discussion was great. It's just how do you shift that dynamic so that not only are you able to advance your, your immediate goals, but you're also able to achieve a higher purpose. So essentially for me, it's about servant leadership. I wanted to serve, inspire, and energize the community, help them grow consistent with the corporation's strategic priorities. And my actions demonstrated that commitment. So once I had a string of, string of like positive outcomes, um, you know, just, you know, it, it became much easier to overcome that resistance. So my key takeaway there is that gaining power doesn't mean that you have to be someone else, that you have to act inconsistent with your core values. You can be true to yourself, you can be true to your core values, and yet do good with power. And what made you realize that you needed to help people shift? Like, what was it? Was it body language? Was it an attitude? Was it lack of responsiveness at all? Or were they actually uh, fighting with you? Right. Yeah, so not, not so much, not so much overt fighting or anything like that, but it was the lack of responsiveness where the, the efforts or the ideas and the inputs were really not going anywhere. We're not making much progress on those things. 
and it just felt like it, the, all, all the ideas were being sidelined. And, and it was easy to under, real, see that resistance uh, in, in you know, really impeding my ability to influence or my ability to shape some of the objectives and some of the priorities and, and, and shape the approach of the, of the employee resource group. That is something that most of us can probably relate to at some point in our career. And yes. so what you did is you, rather than try to push back, like you tried to find a way to make it a positive for them, show right. that you cared, show that you were going to put a lot of effort into this and somehow they could benefit from that. Yep. Yeah, how do we make others look good, right? We, we, don't, we don't want to necessarily. So yeah, exactly as you said, it, it's not about winning or winning at any cost. It is about winning together. Good, great, great point. So talk to me a little bit about your leadership style. I know that you just mentioned uh, servant leadership. Yes. And I would love to hear about what that leadership style looks like how you came up with that uh, for yourself and what are some of the challenges that you face because of it? Yeah. Yeah. So for me, it's, it's all about servant leadership. It's all about how I serve, inspire and energize community, like I said earlier, and help them grow consistent with the corporation's strategic priorities. And so there are three value pillars that I believe in, absolutely believe in. First is care look out for each other and be mindful of the situation that they are in because you know it's hard everybody's personal situation to a certain extent impacts their professional uh, approach so care is very important look out for each other second is compassion be compassionate demonstrate understanding and compassion goes beyond empathy um, compassion is um, it, you know, not, not, not just putting people in other people's shoes but doing something about it understanding their they're understanding their suffering, understanding what they're going through and doing something about it. And third is, I think, courage. Speak up and do what's right. Engage others, but do so with compassion and, and care. So my focus as a leader is to position people for success. I mean, I have a great team. They go above and beyond in getting things done. My job is to make sure that I provide the resources for them to succeed, whether it be capital, whether it be equipment, people, um, give them credit, let them shine. Uh, in my current role, I'm not responsible for deliverables. My team is. They own the timelines, they own the milestones, they own the deliverables, and they manage the expectations of our customers. My job is to make sure that they grow their skills, ensure that they're working on these high-value programs that have a clear line of sight. My job is to help them find fulfillment, feel valued, feel recognized for their contributions. And so what do you see as either a blind spot because of that value set yeah. or what do you have to overcome because of this being the way that you operate from the core? Yeah, so, so servant leadership takes courage in my opinion, Tony, because uh, if you're on the sidelines cheering for the team, supporting them, helping them, but not directly overseeing the projects, sometimes you can come across as incompetent. And, and the, the, the reason why I say that is because your contributions are subtle. They're behind the scenes. You're working through others. And that can be seen as not taking charge or not really acting like a leader in a traditional style in a military, for example, where you're leading from the front. 
um, it, it's servant leadership is, is courageous in the sense that you really have to let go. You really have to empower others and, and be open uh, to that idea of, of, of you know, not, not being in charge. So the key is to not feel insecure. Resist the urge to take charge, to take credit. It's not about you. It's about your team. And that's true leadership. Wow. So oh, I can relate to that. And resist the uh, temptation to feel insecure is a great piece of advice. And not only resist the feeling to jump in there and, and you know get some credit, yep. but also resist the temptation to allow that potential view that you're incompetent at the moment to make you feel insecure. Just let it play itself out. Exactly. Uh, wow. I want to come work for you. Well, thanks. I, I should work, I should be working for you. Hello. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. It's in my future. So the next um, question has a lot to do with this as well. And I, I, it's something that I've heard in the past, and maybe we heard it in our class, but that people respond best to people who start out a bit cold, a bit standoffish, not so approachable, and then occasionally show this underbelly, this softness and friendliness. That makes people, wow, I actually like him after all, or her. Whereas people who are coming across as kind and friendly and approachable all the time, when they then all of a sudden have to drop down some disappointing news or drop down the hammer, people are like, what happened to him? Right. I don't really like him any longer. And it's that um, dynamic that scares me personally, just it, because I, I feel like if, if we have less power when we're coming with more friendliness and more approachability, more care, more compassion up front, yep. that's a problem because that's our approach. So tell me about your thoughts. Yeah, so, and, and I, I absolutely agree with you. I think position of power, right, it can bring out different styles and different leaders. I mean, there are times when the demanding, the guardedness, that kind of leadership is really needed. So, for example, in the battlefield, in the military, where you have to provide a very clear course of action, you know, and, and you, you need that, you need that. So there are moments when some of that authoritative leadership, where it can come across as aloof or standoffish, it is needed. It can be very effective in the short term, in a moment of crisis, for example, right? Um, you, so, so there's a time and place for authoritative leadership. Long term, though, I do think that empathetic leadership, servant leadership is more effective. And, and here's why. I think it builds trust. It builds empowerment. It makes people feel valued. So, and when people are valued, they're engaged. They bring their whole self to work. And when they bring their whole self to work, organizations thrive and succeed. Um, but I'll tell you, I mean, it's, it's easier said than done. Um, it takes focus, it takes discipline, it takes patience. I mean, you know, going back to what you said earlier, it takes willingness to allow your team to fail, not to jump in to fix things, but to give them room to learn by doing and grow from their experiences, from their setbacks. So it can seem very frustrating in the short term because Maybe the team is not making a lot of progress. You know, it's, you know, you, you want to jump in because you're the expert and you can take care of things and fix it. And the ship's like, you know, heading in the right direction, course corrected, whatnot. 
But done right, servant leadership, I think, or empathetic leadership, I think, can be very rewarding in building resilient teams in the long run. I was just thinking about that uh, right before this conversation, running through this, these questions in my mind and thinking about this one particularly. And that's what I came up with as well, is that long term, it's going to be the leader who is themselves, is yep. natural, and, and you can be um, more successful if that is your approach, to be more approachable upfront yep. uh, most of the time. Okay, so who has done the best job at balancing between those two? Because there is always that you have to have it in you to be able to correct a situation, to hold someone accountable, and then continue in, in the direction that you were going, as opposed to taking a hard right turn. Yeah, and, and so it is, it, the, the balancing the two styles is not easy. And, and you know, uh, people usually gravitate towards one more than the other. But I have seen uh, quite a few leaders um, in my company do a great job balancing these two styles. And, and one example that I can think of is uh, one of um, our, our former presidents, he was very good at taking charge of things when it came to safety or operations integrity at work, laser sharp focus, extremely value focused, questioned everything. And, and really we knew that you know, from the questions that he asked, we knew that that was that was paramount that that was you know non-negotiable which 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 you know so that was kind of leading from the front very militaristic uh, or or very you know authoritative kind of but at the same time when it came to innovation when it came to research when it came to more open-ended opportunities you would just step back and let 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 science just take over right let 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 things work out let people like work through it work through the, the complex uh, research or, or, or open-ended opportunities that we were working on, let innovation take its course. Hmm. And, and that's, it's hard to do. So from your standpoint, what has been a time when you had to do that? You had to let someone down, disappoint someone who reported yeah. to you or, yeah. who, or even who you reported to. Right. Right. Yeah. So, so I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a completely different example from last year, 2020, which was so unique because of this COVID-19 pandemic that we've all experienced as humanity, as a planet. Right. Um, so, so 2020, um, you know, COVID-19 really directly challenged the core value of safety for my team. Uh, so, my team, as I said, we work in the lab. 100% uh, of our work cannot be done remotely. We have to come to the office, come to the workplace to run our experiments, do our testing, build equipment, put it together, run it, troubleshoot it, things like that. We cannot do that. 100% of that work cannot be done remotely. Some of it can, not all of it. Uh, now, COVID-19 last year threatened the livelihood of my team members who really needed to come to the workplace to contribute. And it tested my leadership like nothing else. So. Here's what I did, right? Coming into, and I've, I've just come into this role a year, less than a year, something like that. So to ensure social distancing, to make sure that everybody's safe, I arranged the teams to work in morning and afternoon shifts, reduced hours so that we could progress some of the high value work, keep everyone safe, and maybe, you know, um, kind of uh, just, just postpone some of the more um, um, less demanding work or some of the less, less urgent work. And these changes were not very popular with my team. 
Um, the people saw it as a threat to their jobs. They said they could not finish their experiments and tests in the reduced hours, um, that it was not okay. Uh, several, several of my peers criticized my actions as well. And people who reported to me were really disappointed because they just did not see that consistent uh, with, with how, how the lab works. Uh, just just a, just a fact and, and it was true it was true i mean it was it was a pretty pretty difficult step to 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 get comfortable with for all of us um i mean the, the entire industry was hurting as well and therefore working in reduced number of hours was not something that was seen as a positive so what i did is as a leader i spoke on behalf of those who were working remotely who did not feel comfortable working full time um folks who had maybe elderly at home or kids at home uh, or people with uh, existing health conditions, uh, you know, who, and so, so I reminded my peer supervisors that safety of our people was non-negotiable, um, addressed the job security concerns that the direct reports had, um, and continued to urge vigilance on social distancing. I applauded their safe behaviors. Um, eventually, people saw value, and several of my direct reports actually came forward, thanked me for the courage of conviction, and for staying steady fast. But I'm, I'm telling you, I mean, even today, I think even if we were to go back and kind of do something like that, I'm, I, can, I can guarantee you, attorney, that's not gonna be a very popular step, move forward. It's, wow. Yeah, it's. So was that a situation where you had to reduce their pay as well because no, no. they were only working part-time or they were still getting paid the full amount? Yeah, no, no impact on pay, obviously, uh, no impact on pay. It was just the changing the shifts afternoon and morning or finding other arrangements, like, for example, separating people on a, in a big ballroom, for example, so that people are work, have that social distancing and yet they can get their job done safely. Hmm. Wow. Uh, but the fact that you're not showing up full time, etc., in their minds, it just was like, wow, you know, does that mean that my work now is no longer valuable? That means we are, you know, we're not right. responsible anymore, et cetera. So it is, it is, it is very human. It's very human. And I think you and I would feel the exact same way if, if that were to happen to us. Did you tell them that, that you would yeah. probably feel that way? if, if you Yeah, that? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So on on the other side of things, sometimes we do have a, a conviction around something and we realize that that can change. So if somebody brings new evidence to the table, they make a really good point and we decide, you know what? I actually am gonna shift my mindset on this one. Yeah. Do you have any examples of that? Yes. So, so this is this is a couple of years ago, um, and uh, I was leading a cross-company effort to evaluate a promising technology through a field trial. And the intent was we we developed the technology in the company. Uh, we did some research, some preliminary work, which was at lab scale. We wanted to kind of you know take it out to the field uh, and see if it will scale up. Right. Um, the effort had high visibility, and there were the investment of you know, pretty high investment, millions of dollars involved in that. The objective was really to collect some meaningful data that informed us about the performance of the technology, right? And um, so that was, the, that, was, that was kind of like the objective of the field trial. And upon conclusion, so we went out, we did the field trial, everything went really well. And upon conclusion of that field trial, 
Um, I had a new hire with about less than three months of experience, fresh out of school, post-process the data, the field data. And they did that. And they concluded that the data was really not conclusive in the sense it didn't really inform us whether the technology actually worked or not. And so they concluded that the way the field trial was set up was faulty. In essence, the field trial where we had invested millions of dollars had failed. And I was in charge of this field trial. So I reacted very defensively. I said, <laughs> come on, that, that's not possible. I defended the setup, I defended the data. I told the new hire that you know, their post-processing was actually was incorrect. They should go back and, and rework it. Um, and they did, they did. So, um, and as we looked more closely, I realized that the new hire was actually right. That the data was indeed inconclusive. Didn't mean that everything had failed, but it did mean that the field trial was not successful. So I apologize to my colleague. I worked sincerely to rebuild their trust. And, uh, and I, I, I went to my leadership as well, sat down over, over a cup of coffee, um, took full ownership. I fessed up like, hey, you know, this, this is what it is. Um, and, 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 and to my surprise, I actually, instead of reprimanding me, actually, they shared an example where they, they had, uh, you know, seen an adverse outcome as well, um, that where they didn't quite succeed either. So the lesson that I learned is that good ideas can come from anyone whether it's experienced or a new hire, inside or outside the room. Um, and as a leader, we need to keep an open mind, listen, and do what's right, not what's convenient. Hmm. Sandeep, I just can't tell you enough. The audience probably also wants to all come work for you. And that's not the intention of these interviews, but, you know, could be a good uh, outcome. Uh, when it comes to, we've talked a little bit about our styles and how sometimes they can get in our own way. Uh, they can help us get in our own way. And I'll give a little example where recently I was talking to somebody on my team. And while I am also very friendly and, and sometimes too much so, I, I like to be liked. That's my natural tendency. And I don't, uh, I don't actually want to be that way as a leader. I think that's, that can get in my own way, but sometimes I can also be just too intense. So this other day I was feeling very intense because of a meeting that I had just had. And I felt like, um, I could just sense in my tone and in my body language that I was wired up and, I told the person on the phone, I'm out of whack. I didn't tell him that. But what I told him was, look, I can sense that I am a bit worked up right now and I'm feeling really intense. So it's not at you. It's just me <laughs> at the moment. So if I come across that way, just so you know. Yep. And what wound up happening was I felt great in that conversation, actually, because I was able to like just let him know that that is how I am right now. And we wound up laughing in that phone call and connecting in a different way than we would have had I just tried to like hold on to everything. So I'm curious, what is a time when you realize that you were um, out of whack, either being too easy on your team or perhaps being too frustrated? And uh, how did you get onto the middle ground? Yeah. 
So Trini, the example that you shared, I mean, that is such a great example of self-awareness. I wish I could claim that for me, the self-awareness came in the moment and I realized that I was out of whack and I immediately, you know, took action to make amends. Uh, none of that, none of that. <laughs> so, so, so I, have, I have a more embarrassing example to share, which, which I'm happy to. Uh, and so, and, and this was, this was, this is, this is one that actually, you know, um, is, is something that I, you know, I, I share with the new hires as well, because, um, you know, maybe, maybe it's, maybe it's something that, you know, we, I hope people can learn from my mistakes and the one, one that I, that I didn't do so well, um, so that they don't end up repeating something like that. So early in my career, right, when, when I joined ExxonMobil, I was fresh out of school, I wanted to contribute, I wanted to do my best. And my leadership style was very, very competitive. It's more focused on tasks rather than people, deliverables. The deliverables took priority. And it came many times at the cost of people, at the cost of relationships. I was very demanding. I was driving functional excellence when it came, you know, when it came to meeting deadlines. And, and that all of that came at the expense of relationships. And that realization came to me, not immediately. So in your example, you said, wow, you know, it's that self-awareness, just, just in the moment you realize that you're out of whack. For me, that the, the, the fact that I was out of whack, that realization did not come to me immediately. It took me years to realize that, that what I was doing was just, you know, just so, as at the expense of others. Um, when, I, when I moved jobs into drilling, um, you know, everyone there is focused on very high value programs. Everyone just wants to get job done working as a team. Teamwork was the key. And if you could help the cause, if your ideas were, you know, if, if you, somehow your ideas could basically help advance the mission, your ideas were welcome. And your contribution was appreciated, it was recognized. And that, looking at that culture, I mean, that just transformed my outlook and my approach towards leadership. And that lesson has stayed with me ever since, you know. Now my focus is, how can I contribute to a bigger cause? No role is too small or too limiting. The key is, what can I do to advance the cause, advance the mission? And so I started working back in the day in pipelines. And so as soon as I got good at it, they moved me into drilling in, in my company, which I knew nothing about. And as I've grown in drilling, they put me in, in the lab where it's more about managing operations integrity, productivity while making an impact. So I'm, I'm very grateful for these opportunities, but that lesson of being out of whack and becoming a little bit more self-aware of how maybe us being like that can impact others and jeopardize the productivity and also the, 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 the culture of the team that has stayed with me forever. Well, that is a surprise that you haven't always been this way and makes it even more special that you've come to it over time based on thoughtfulness. So thank you. So much, Sandeep. Is there anything else that you wanted to cover? So, Trini, thank you so much for the opportunity. I really, really enjoyed your, our conversation today and also in the past. And I, I know that I hope we will continue to have similar more conversations. Um, I'm available on LinkedIn. I'm very active on Workplace as well. So if somebody wants to reach out and chat more, happy to do so. Wonderful. So and congratulations on uh, finishing the program recently but yes, also thank you. sticking around. Yes, absolutely. So it's, it's a privilege. It's a privilege to be a part of the LEAD alum community. And um, I, I plan to take uh, more courses next quarter. So looking forward to our continued partnership and collaboration.
looking very forward to our continued partnership and collaboration indeed. Thank you, Sandeep. Thanks, Tony.